0: Hey, everybody, everybody. Big show today. 90 minutes of show. It's a lot of show. Yeah, it's uh, a but big we got a lot accomplished what we got
1: show today. Let's see. We are going to talk a little bit about what is happening in finance and ESG. We're talking about Deutsche Bank getting raided by German law enforcement for greenwashing its ESG
0: funds, which is of that is a very timely topic right now. Let's just say and then We touch base on Fidelity marking down their investments in Stripe and Reddit. We're going to talk about companies going back into the office over concerns
1: about worker productivity and then leads to a nice big conversation about productivity.
0: Yeah, I I have a lot of thoughts on um, professional training, uh, time blocking and time management by employees, uh, and um, obviously work from home and remote and then setting clear goals in your company. And I think I have a formula for success as we come out of the pandemic and move to endemic. And people are now deciding do we come back to work or not? I have a way for managers, I think, and employees to navigate work from home. And it's really based upon productivity. And it's also a way for companies that are scared about this recession being an extended one, maybe getting 20 30 40% out of their current employee base and team, rather than hiring 30 40%. Uh, or maybe being 30 40% more effective, leading to more revenue and then reducing the number of layoffs you have to do. So if you're scared about those things, um, like I have a concern about I don't know if I'm scared, but I am concerned and attuned to it. I've really been thinking about it. And I have a really good strategy I want to share today uh, in terms of operating your company.
1: Yeah, it's a great show. That alone, by the way, is like a lot of show. But then Then. we have a great interview with the CEO of DroneUp, the company that's working with Walmart. Yeah, we talked about the other day. Drone deliveries. Exactly. We had a million logistical questions. So we got Tom Walker on the show and he's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great show. Stick with us.
2: This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist, that's Odoo.com dot slash twist. Open Phone As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. And Coda. Coda is the all in one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. All right,
0: everybody welcome to the show we got a great interview with you on the second half of the show uh, about drone up and so you're gonna love that we go into massive details about the actual drone deliveries happening in arkansas right now um by a company called drone up and with their partner that you may have heard of walmart it is a super compelling uh discussion and and this technology is is here earlier uh is actually happening so maybe not earlier than we expected but They're actually doing it, Molly. It's pretty impressive, huh?
1: Yeah. And I would argue it is earlier than we expected for some reasons that we talk about in the show that that gave me a little bit of a series idea for uh,
0: Uh, the COVID fast forward. The COVID fast forward. Yes. I mean, this technology like telemedicine and food delivery is certainly benefited from, hey, we can't leave our houses. We need a COVID test. Well, drone delivery seems like a great way to get it and not have to have human interactions. But totally. there's other news. Yes. And this Deutsche Bank getting raided one seems crazy. Yeah, I, it, I saw this and I don't understand exactly what's going on. So maybe Molly, you can educate me and the rest of the audience uh, well, on the Deutsche Bank issue.
1: You know, it's very interesting. So the Deutsche Bank issue is happening in the context. So the the headline here is that Deutsche Bank was raided by okay. German law enforcement. Because of alleged fraudulent advertising of sustainable investment funds. What makes this a super interesting story is um, A, the bank was raided by German feds, but <laughs> yes. B, this is all happening in the context right now of the SEC here in the United States starting to roll out and float trial balloons on way, way, way tougher requirements around ESG. What can Explain. what can qualify yeah. as an environmental What is it? Environmental sustainability and governance type investment. So there's this sort Mm -hmm. of basket of investments that, you know, are maybe green or they're about corporate governance. Why Mm -hmm. those things got welded together, I will never know. But it's gotten environmental, social and governance. So are you a fund or a company that does some that is environmentally responsible, does a social good or has, you know, progressive government governance?
0: Governance being your board of directors has a woman on it, a person of color, an employee representative. Um, yeah. basically a standard, uh, ESG is kind of the concept at least, and the intent the concept seems is good. The execution seems kind of screwed up right now. Uh, right. but it's so supposed trying- to be good for society is the intention. It doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So this, well, you know, I mean, you, it, right. It's sort of like, does awareness matter? So mm-hmm. I guess there was that question, but there yeah. is this, um, a move afoot to crack mm-hmm. down On what is considered ESG and to get tighter disclosures. So Mm. that's sort of the context for the fact that now uh, German authorities have not only declared that there was some greenwashing at Deutsche Mm. Bank, but because they're a lot tougher there,
0: Mm.
1: went in and searched, you know, tossed the place looking for evidence Mm. that could support allegations, uh, according to a spokesman for the public prosecutor in Germany. Of prospectus fraud. So basically Mm -hmm. Deutsche Bank saying, Yeah, we've got these funds, they're super ESG, it's all like really green. And the German authorities were like, No, okay, these, these appear to potentially have been lies asset managers promising a certain thing with respect to these investments that didn't turn out to be true.
0: So prospectus fraud, they when you start a fund, and you ask rich people to invest in it, you make a prospectus, you say, Hey, these are going to be green funds. And then they invested in non-green funds. So the German authorities said, hey, this is illegal. And so, or at least that's the claim here. And they, it was strong enough of a situation to rate it, which is just, yeah, super disappointing. Like, why would you go through creating an ESG fund to dupe people to then invest it in non-ESG? I'm, also, I'm thinking about the motivation here. I guess it's just money. I guess they were yeah. going to make more money investing in non-ESG stuff. The public doesn't want to invest in non-ESG stuff, so they ran a shell game? Yeah.
1: I don't really... Know. I mean, honestly, though,
0: I think, like,
1: uh, Eric Garland, who I think is a former federal prosecutor, right? A formal, former DOJ guy, is that mm-hmm. the guy? Uh, basically was like, isn't, DO, isn't Deutsche Bank kind of rated every
0: week or two now? <laughs> there has <laughs> It's been, a very complicated uh, bank. <laughs> yes. Overall, it was, uh, they were rated for money laundering at some point, and... Yeah. They admitted, strange.
1: let's see, in 2021, admitted uh, a breach of 2021 DOJ tied to ESG reporting failures. Like they've had a whole bunch of issues related to this specifically um, and other issues. There's like a whole long yeah Donald Trump thing. There's a whole bank crisis with Donald Trump, like who gave him the loans. Deutsche kind of Bank, thing. yeah. But I Never think found like, found that out. Yeah. It's, you know, later in the show, we're going to talk about this idea of like, moving really fast and potentially moving so fast that you break things and put a stink on an entire industry. You could argue that ESG was, you know, a concept designed to incentivize stakeholder capital capitalism to encourage companies to green their operations uh, to reduce their own financial risk and also operate a little bit better. But then what happened is that you ended up with skewed incentives. If you could make a lot for a long time, it was like money was just pouring in to these ESG funds with not a lot of oversight. So it was like a quick way to make a buck. So of course people started cheating, right? It's just a story about incentives over and over and over. And of course, if somebody was going to cheat, it just sort of feels like, of course, it was (laughs) Bank.
0: Well, and then (laughs) it's like the, there's some way, I know Elon was talking about this, like their, the S&P had some ESG rankings. And so... It seems like it's pretty easy to game the rankings so there's some sort of scorecard and tesla came off the esg rankings and then yeah. i think exxon was like at the top of them or something and they we're just all like what exactly is happening here with this and it's show me an incentive i'll show you an outcome i think yeah. uh people are gaming the system quite obviously um and these esg things feels like a giant grift and fraud and the people who are Making the money from it, or lawyers. I mean, there are bigger
1: grifts and frauds, to be clear. I'm sure.
0: But I mean, when Exxon is gaming it, like they're producing all the oil in the world and burning a hole in the ozone layer and they're at the top of the rankings. I don't know how this makes sense. So I just, anytime these regulations come out, I've seen it like the the attorneys and the accountants and the consultants seem to really clean up. Yeah. And uh,
1: what I would argue, and I'm actually super happy because it showed up in the Wall Street Journal today, Rochelle Toplinski wrote an opinion piece in the journal. saying exactly what I've been saying, which is like the environmental part of this needs to come out. Like we've, the, the fact that we sort of welded on, you know, environmental reporting and risk disclosure and things related to the climate crisis with social and uh, governance and, and sort of social good and DE&I like, yes, that these are intertwining in some ways. There's a huge like climate justice component here. There's environmental racism. Those things are all real. But the fact is, like, as companies pursue risk disclosure, climate neutral policies, net zero, uh, that's like goals. That's all business. And that's all necessary business. And I'm going to put this in a way that's going to get me yelled at, but Mm. it was always going to be too messy, I guess, to combine these things. Like, companies need to have environmental goals and goals related to the climate crisis. Companies need to have DE&I policies and diversity that makes them stronger businesses, but the idea that those are somehow the exact same policy are is, sure. has created a lot of like messiness around what these funds do and accomplish and should include.
0: Yeah, These seem like separate issues and they should be changed. Uh, yeah. Listen, right now, capital efficiency and extending your runway is more important than ever. So how are you going to do that? Well, one easy way is to cut costs and run all of your SaaS apps on one platform. And for that, you need to check out Odoo's amazing suite of business apps. It's going to save you so much time and so much money. Using Odoo means you won't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions to manage and all that money. Your credit card bill comes every month. You're in shock. Everything you need is already on Odoo. And all you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. And Odoo will only charge you for the apps that you actually use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 in their open source community. We're talking sales, accounting, marketing, automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. And this will streamline your business perfectly, aka no more transferring data back and forth from all these disparate products and services that you use. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. And the best part, well, first app is free forever. They're going to give you $1,000 right now off your first implementation pack. That's right. You're going to go to odoo.com slash twist and get $1,000 off. What a generous offer. That's odoo.com slash twist. It's breaking messy. news it's messy. Uh, here. Uh, somebody just tweeted at me that, uh, oh. you know, when we had that OpenSea story. Remember that? Where the, yeah. the employees at OpenSea were front running the market and they're quoting me here. I don't know if this is my exact quote, but... Uh, Somebody says Jason said that, you know, OpenSea needed to take action against the rogue employee. And it said, uh, this is my quote. I don't know if this is actually accurate. <laughs> they need to sue the employee. I know that sounds crazy. Um, and it looks like they in fact have, um, and so, so this was
1: the story where that for the product manager committed insider
0: trading. Oh, right. So they were trading NFTs right before they were publicly available, I guess. And so, yeah, Opens, uh, DOJ charges that- former OpenSea executive and first NFT insider trading case. Uh, prosecutors, prosecutors allege the former OpenSea had a product, Nathan Chastain, used insider knowledge to trade NFTs for profit. Department of Justice, I'm reading from Vice. Uh, the Department of Justice charged a former executive Open OpenSea in connection with an NFT insider trading scheme. The agency announced Wednesday. It is the first time, that's today, that such a charge have been uh laid out in the realm of digital assets this will be the tip of the iceberg yeah predict there will be and remember i said that like everybody in crypto thinks the rules don't apply because it's it's not there a stock been any. Mm-hmm. but if you're selling these things and they quack like a duck and they look like a duck and it's kind of obvious like hey, this is uh going to get um Prosecuted at some point. I think it, this is just the beginning. The the DOJ and the SEC, like they they seem to take like five ten years to build these cases. So ICO cases happened over the last couple of years, and ICOs happened what five six seven years ago. And now I think all well, this NFT stuff. If people were painting the tape, as everybody seems to think was the case, how many people were painting the tape mm-hmm. at OpenSea or other platforms? You know, in other words, creating wash trades, fake trades to make people think this NFT is going up. And they're like, well, you can technically do it. And if that is your benchmark for behavior, that it's technically possible, yeah, it's technically possible to create a super drug called fentanyl that gets people super high and then takes them to the edge of an overdose. Like, doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> so, here we are again in terms of responsibility. Um, yeah. You know, and, so, and, he
1: knew, so, it looks like he knew. I was trying to remember this story because yeah. I was I remember we, there was some other story where we talked about insider trading and it was like trading and it was like these ding-dongs who only made themselves a million dollars and were super obvious. This was less than that. But he was the guy who knew was responsible for selecting what NFTs would be featured on the front page of (laughs) OpenSea. So he was like, so it'd be like if you were, you know, at Apple and you knew what was going to be promoted in Apple podcasts. And then you, I mean, assuming the podcast made any money, right? You like somehow front ran those podcasts. So he was in charge of promoting the NFTs. It's and so really then he obviously no. bought them first, yes. then they got promoted. And then he resold he them at it. two yeah. to five times he flipped him.
0: It's what they, crazy. What do you pay? Uh, the, the story you're referring to, uh, to refresh your memories, the SEC charged three Twilio employees with That's insider right. trading, and they were like engineers. And at the time, w- we had a similar comment, which is like, if you work at OpenSea and you're the product manager, you must be making six figures, you own equity in the company that might be worth millions of dollars, potentially. Mm -hmm. you could just buy if you actually did understand nfts you could just buy them after they were released to the public because you probably still have enough information and you could just use public information right and you could disclose i'm buying this nft i have an affinity for it after on day two of trading who's gonna if you if this person bought these on day two of trading could anybody complain i don't think so that would be like i work at a nike and i bought the shoes after they were for sale for two days but i just you know I I wanted to own a couple pairs of them, as opposed to I think there was a Nike person who was actually stealing the Nike shoes and front running them in that market. So front running a market, we're learning all the tricks, (laughs) front running a market, using inside information to front run the market, painting the tape, wash trades, all this stuff is going to be coming out. So this will be a parade of malfeasance that we'll be dealing with for some time. Uh, In other news today, fidelity is marking down its share of startups. So Uh, When you're in the private investing business you do an audit every year, you know, you may or may not mark stuff down that you've invested in at a certain valuation. Uh, When you're um, one of these more public, uh, larger entities, I think you have to do this quarterly. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so fidelity, according to information compiled by our friends at Bloomberg has marked down some private market investments. So this is a judgment call they make based on what's happened in the public markets. They start marking down investments they made in private corporations. We all know Reddit had filed to go public. Uh, Fidelity marked them down 36%. They marked Stripe down about 13%. Uh, and Instacart 48%, which I think Instacart had taken that medicine themselves in order to reprice their employee options. But, and so if you look at dollars per share, uh, looks like Reddit peaked in Q three of 2021 at $62 and now is at $39. They're actually because these are going to be public companies are obviously talking about the actual share price. Now, $125 for Instacart now down at like $62. So wise thing to do. And just more indicative of the medicine being taken Molly, uh, so that people can then not keep crashing. And if you reset the peg and you say, Hey, here's where the number is. Um, now it can go up again. So you take this hard medicine and, you know, hey, your house, sorry, your house isn't worth what you thought it was, right. is what's happening here in these public markets, it happens quicker in a public market. It happens instantly because it's an open market. In crypto, it's a 24 hour market it happens instantly. In private companies, these type of investors, the fidelities of the world have to report, they have a higher reporting uh, in their funds, um, because they have large inst- other institutions in there, I guess. Yeah. And they do it quarterly. So um, mm. this is just more proof that public uh, valuations that are reset are impacting private companies, but you'll Mm -hmm. notice these numbers are slightly lower than what happened to public companies, which down, went down 50 to 85%. So you don't see 50 to 85% here.
1: Right. Totally. I want to have a longer conversation about marking in our, uh, BC Sunday school, but yes,
0: what it shows is that
1: the contagion, you know, the virus is spreading if you will, if you will forgive a really unfortunate metaphor, um, that, 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 you know, rumors of a downturn have not been exaggerated.
0: Yeah. Uh, We were talking earlier about productivity um, and the remote work sort of train ending uh, Mm -hmm. for certain folks. Apple went to three days a week. They had some resignations, but we haven't heard anything since then. And so people are going back to work. I was on a couple of phone calls this week uh, or the last two weeks and people were, were on the zoom from their offices. Which is a weird experience yeah. when three people are in the window. You're like, whoa, what are you all tweeting in the same <laughs> Zoom window? There's three of you. And what is this backdrop- background are you of at a, a conference? And yeah. yeah, they're like, no, no, we're in our conference room. You're the ones who are at home. And so all of a sudden, this is getting real. And actually today, I have to make a decision, Molly. I'm going to need a little bit of your help here. I have a board meeting at 2.30 that mm-hmm. I can go to in person. Mm-hmm. I love this company. Incredible. It's one of our top performers. Uh, I also got my parents in town, my brother. So, and they invited me to come to dinner, uh, with the board, which we haven't done in like close to three years now, over two years, uh, wow. with the pandemic. So I'd have to leave my house at two for the two thirty board meeting, hour and a half board meeting. Uh, gets us to uh, three, four o'clock. Then we have a five o'clock dinner. So there'd be an hour of like work I could do independently in a conference room somewhere, and then dinner five to seven. So two to seven thirty, maybe I get home looking at uh uh, a lot of time out of the house but i'm kind of missing people and i want to go but my mind goes to productivity Mm -hmm. it's probably you know if i did go to dinner on my own if i had dinner on my own with my parents that would be an hour anyway so this looks like it adds two hours three hours to my day of extra stuff do i want to give up two to three hours am i looking at it the right way molly or should I i just be happy to see humans and build bonds which i know i know this i just i think this is going to be
1: the question of the future because i mean you know how i feel about time right like i am murderously protective of my time i call it unobtainium it is the most precious substance in the universe no more of it can ever be created and so on and so forth and so constantly for me it's this question of roi like when i convinced marketplace years ago to let me work from home it was it was by saying like effectively you pay me too much to be in the car an hour and a half a day yeah that's a stupid use of your money yes. and when i'm in the car i'm in the car like during prime news breaking hours right right it's like noon on the east coast mm. 4 or 5 on the on the west coast yes that i am useless to you instead of live on the radio like that's yeah. just not a good dollar for dollar mm. like they say in yeah. public radio challenge um, and I, and I sort of feel that way about these opportunities now too. And I've gotten increasingly stingy about them. It's like, what mm. is going to be the, the term payoff here now, relationship building often worth it. But if you already yeah. have a relationship, yeah. what are you going to lose by not going? Like, I d- and I think that's like, mm. you know, writ large, that's like the question that we're all asking ourselves now. It, will I be more productive in the office? Will, mm. s- will some employees be more productive in the office, but others won't be? Is the is the amount that you pay me worth you having me in a car for an hour a day, right? Like or two hours a day? Well, and who pays for that? Like literally, I saw somebody
0: on Twitter saying, I think it was actually an Apple employee. uh, It was around. Yeah, they were like, you should pay our commute costs, and I was like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) that's not how this works. But okay, you know, like I understand the argument, but. When has anybody ever said like pay for my commute? That was always the employee's responsibility. But I guess after two years of working, no, that home, happens. Come on, that's actually no, been around for nobody years. Nobody gets commuter benefits. Commute. Nobody gets benefits paid. are paying for your BART or your New York retro right. car. You get like some pre-tax
1: benefits that
0: if you know yeah, help. But that's meant with to the pay for the commute, commute, not the hours. I mean, think about it, an expensive employee. What two hours a day equals? 10 a week equals 520 a year, it'd be 25% of a pay bump. Everybody would be getting it because it would be 20% more of your day. Think about a oh, 25% yeah. more every day, eight-hour day plus two, twenty-five yeah. percent more. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar employee and you paid for their commute, it'd be twenty five thousand dollars to pay for them reading books or listening to podcasts. It's like right. mm. But, but anyway, if
1: you, hmm. if, if you as the hmm. company, if yes. that employee worked from home for this whole time. And got mm. everything done. Every No outcome changed. And in fact, was potentially even 20 or 30% more productive yes. because they weren't going somewhere and they weren't tired at the end of the night. They could just sort of pick up the laptop at nine because they're not mm. pooped. They didn't go somewhere yeah. all day. Um, if there was no difference in productivity and then you, company, were like, no, I want you to come here now and lose those two hours. If I'm that employee, I would also want to get paid. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, really? Because like
3: mm.
1: previously I was working d- during those hours. Yeah for f- free, right? For my salary, like, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a real, I, it's a real management question for our It's time. a real
0: management question. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. You know about this problem. People start putting their personal mobile phone in documents, proposals, and it makes things super messy. If you're running your own company, you need to be professional and open phone helps you create a business phone number. And it's really easy. How easy is open phone? You install an app and you're done. You pick your number, you're done. And you can create a shared phone number. How great is that? You know how you have like an email for customer support, you do VIP at? Now you can have that for a phone number where multiple employees can feel calls and texts, including those texts, super important. Because that's how a lot of business happens. A lot of these young folks, they don't wanna talk on the phone, they wanna text. Well, open phone can help you with that as well. And it's affordable already. It's just 10 bucks a month. I mean, it's so affordable, it's ridiculous. I think they should triple their prices. I think I would pay 30 bucks a month for this, but they charge 10. Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off that for any plan for your first six months. That's even ridiculously generous. I mean, that puts it down to $8 a month. You're kidding me. You need to do it for yourself as an executive or a salesperson, openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service that's overcharging you or that doesn't have this incredible feature set, they'll put it over for you. If you're thinking about phone numbers, I just want you to think openphone.com slash twist. That easy, folks. So I would like to give advice. I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, And I've been thinking about it in relation to the very scary recession we're going into. Mm -hmm. Having lived through two recessions and in both recessions, having had to lay people off, I'm determined to not have to do that this time. So for inside employees and launch employees listening, as the boss, I am monitoring things. I keep cash in the bank. I keep myself cashed up. I'm very conservative in my lifestyle. You don't see me flying private, even though I arguably could. I I don't do certain things because I try to keep cash reserves high so that I don't ever have to deal with laying people off. Mm -hmm. But we're all thinking it, right? Oh my God. What happens if advertising takes a hit? What if the economy is thrown in for two years? Will you have to lay people off? Will our company be one of those companies? So I always think about, well, how do you avoid that? Well, one, you keep revenue uh, high. And you have to have efficiency high. So now we're all, if we start thinking of ourselves as a team, which in my later life, you know, I've really started to look at teams and, and team functionality. It's hanging out with, you know, Draymond a bunch uh, and watching the Warriors up close and watching that team. I've actually learned a lot from Draymond talking to him about team dynamics, Kevin Durant, staff, It's funny because like know, of all that stuff. of all people. Right. <laughs> I, I've learned more from him about team dynamics yeah. than any business person. I'll tell you that. That's like the thing people don't understand about him. But at, yes, mm-hmm. he is that guy. He's, He's that blue guy. guy, right? Yep. So I, you know, literally was you know talking to him about this last couple of weeks. So I said, okay, uh, everybody's fear, right? And fear is a big driver of people's behavior. Everybody's fear is, oh my god, pay cuts, layoffs. Am I secure? Is the economy going to be okay? Inflation's going up, and layoffs are happening at the same time. How do I play a role in that? Like, what, what's going to happen? Okay. Efficiency is what's important. Yeah. And so if you can't hire more people, well, then if we're each 10% more productive in a 20 person company, it's equivalent of hiring two more people. Mm -hmm. Does anybody think, listening to my voice right now, that there is a way for them to be 10% more productive in their lives? What do you think, Molly? (laughs) If you ask 20 people, could you be 10% more productive? How many people would say, sure, I think I could be 10% more productive. I'm not sure exactly how, but could I? Like 90%. (sighs) 90 people would say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, almost I mean, nobody,
1: it's like the human brain, right? That what do they say? You're only, uh, you only use 20%. <laughs> exactly.
0: So there is, your brain. there is no right. world in which everybody could not be 10% more productive. And right. in fact, I think over if you became, I think everybody could probably be 10% more productive a month. I think they could be 10% more productive a month for multiple months in a row. Mm-hmm. So how do you become more productive? Training, professional training technical training those two things alone just basic training if you invest in training everybody's going to get 10 20 30 percent more effective what have you seen me do over the last 30 60 days yeah training 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 training, totally. and training everybody then what's and another it might way?
1: reduce productivity in the short term right because you spend oh, a lot of course. time on, front on training yeah. it's an investment
0: yeah. right and it matters and it matters okay it you off. do a little training then i did my research it turns out there's a group of people who do something called time blocking. And this is where I'm going to get, I'm circling back to work from home and that whole standoff. Yeah. But then there is time blocking on calendars. And yeah. then there's reporting on what you're doing uh, and, and having intentionality about your day. So there turns out there's something called time blocking. This is where you put like something that falls through the cracks, maybe in your day-to-day. And so one of the things that's always fallen through the cracks here at this week in startups is checking the slack and checking the community groups that we have tried to do. So I said to the team, hey, uh, this is falling through the cracks. Just want everybody to put 20 15 minutes, I think I said on their calendar every day for one week, and just go to the Twitter group that we started and just interact there. I saw delightfully yesterday, that uh, Nick is out but Rachel and Justin and myself went in there, you can jump in there too, Molly. Um, if you have time to time block, even if it's five minutes to just say hi to the fans and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all did it. And everybody's interacting. All of a sudden there's more questions coming in. So the power of time blocking is really interesting. But then I realized there's another time blocking thing. and me as a boss. I asked everybody on my teams to share their calendar with me. I started going through them. I noticed a trend. Some of the most productive people have calendars that have time blocking on them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my Lord. What a really interesting uh, thing. And then I saw some people maybe who are younger in their careers, they don't even know what time blocking is. Yeah. So as but another example, I said to Rachel. let's explain
1: too. We mean like, not just so I use time blocking for focus time. I also use it for things that are in my life that have to occur so that everybody knows like this is pickup. This is drop off, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you can be parent. Well, yeah, but also like parenting during work hours, right? Like, hey, yes. this is gonna, uh, this is I, happening. Yeah, some people literally like I and I encourage them like you need to put exercise on your
0: calendar. Yeah, you need to start that.
1: Like, it's really, it's actually really important. And it's How not you think only I wellness. 40
0: days last year, I skied 40 days because I put on my calendar, you block it, off. you know, every day, 12 to three, don't put meetings here, I'm going to try to get on the mountain in that window right Uh, and do two hours is what i was doing and then i kind of i'll do meetings until 7 30 so i I open my meeting window after that right Uh, totally
1: and the thing is that it's sort of like this is where i'm like obsessed with make a list of everything that you do every day because then you start to realize the things you do every day that you didn't think were work Mm. that could be on your calendar as work yes like if you're a person who like most of what i do here is talk here and then have meetings and yes. I found myself in the trap of like almost every salesperson or EVP that I know who like has meetings all day and then is like, I have a lot of work to do at yes. night because they're like, yes. I didn't do any work today. I just talked right. all mm. day long. And so then it turns out that there's work you have to do. Like after we have an investment meeting with somebody or a founder take meeting, notes. you got to like organize your notes, not just take yes. them, but yes. put them all in the right place. Like how and share
0: d- them with people and come to a determination. Do you want to move this company on to the next step? That takes right. a decision making time. Right? Yep. So it's post meeting exactly. time.
1: There's post meeting time, then there's yeah. decision time, then there's okay. time to answer emails,
0: all of that can be a calendar entry. Yes. And so you don't want to put silly stuff on there, you know, but having some intentionality, what this makes you think about, as an individual, I found was what what actually am I here for? What's the priority of my job, right. Clearly, the priority in your job is to and my job to be on air and to do this podcast six days a week, then mm-hmm. there's another piece meeting with the companies, but there is another piece which is also, hey, we have to make a decision about these companies. So if I'm taking a 20 minute introductory meeting, which we all know goes to the 30 or 40, there needs to be another 10, 20 minutes for me to organize my notes. So it's really even with a 20 minute introductory call, it's probably an hour of total work. Yeah, it goes to a half hour. And there might be another half hour, or maybe 15 minutes of writing it all down. And there might be 15 minutes of prep for the next call. So you Mm -hmm. put all this together. The thing I realized was, as a manager of a business, my anxiety went way down because I realized, wait, there's some more resources to capture here. And maybe I haven't done the best job telling people what the priority is. So if people do time blocking, mm-hmm. uh, not in an egregious, like, you know, I'm doing email for this hour, I'm doing email for this hour, I'm doing email for this hour. It's like, okay, email and Slack. Like there are some jobs where you got to get through a lot of emails. Actually, mine is one of them because my email is many
1: hours. I put literally Friday afternoons of email.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. The so, whole, like
1: I try to have no meetings on a Friday afternoon because yeah. otherwise you're literally drowning. You've been introduced to seven great companies by other VCs and you have no this clue because it's thing. on page yeah. three of the inbox, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so getting through, I was about, that was exactly where I was going Cutting off the past, which is my email Sorry. box has the next 50 companies we need to meet with. So I do need to get in there for half an hour every yeah. day um, and Before. just sort them. I mean, it's literally just sorting them. Do I know the person who introduced me? Do I need to respond? All that stuff. Yeah. So putting this all together, I just had this great realization that there is a, way for this to work for both parties. Managers always have this fear that people are not doing their job. And that fear comes not from the 80% of people who are doing a great job in your company and all like that it comes from the 10% who are bad actors who are f-ing off and not doing their job. Please tweet bleep, bleep out the F word. My mom listens. And then the other 10% are people who are just inefficient. And maybe in your company, it's 60 20, 20. Who knows what the percentage yeah. is? But that's the fear you as a team member should know about what bosses are thinking of. That's why they make a snap decision like everybody come to the office. That's why or right. three days a week because they want to know at least they have some engagement going on. And there are other reasons to be in the office like physically making products that are physical in the real world and collaboration and relationship building. But put it aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about getting rid of that fear that managers have. There's a very super uh, easy task for this, which is. If you're intentional about your calendar, you share your calendar with your boss and you say, hey, look, here's what I'm working on. Does this sync with you? Because I looked at our team here and I realized like the booking of guests or researching of guests, it always seems to fall way behind on the priority. So I said, Rachel, I don't want you on air for the show when we're taping. Mm -hmm. We'll have another pretty, we only need one producer to be on air while we're taping. Right. You, the second the show notes are done at 10 a.m., get off the show for this week three hours of researching guests, I just want you to find us guests, rank them and get to 10 a day. In one week, you'll have 50. And then I want you to tell us the five to 10 best. And I was actually going to ask you Molly to time bank, maybe on a Friday, a little mentoring there of half an hour, maybe you look at her results and say, Hey, here's what I think of these guests. And maybe you pick your favorites. And I'll put a half hour. Here's what I think. Or maybe we'll just do it all together. No, we have that
1: we she and I have that half hour schedule. We have that tomorrow. We have that it's on my calendar.
0: It's on on our calendar for tomorrow. We're doing it after the show. (laughs) <laughs> so here and this so this is also for managers, you have to look at your business and say, hey, what's not hitting the notes that you think you need to hit to succeed? Great guests, obviously a big part of this. Yeah, yeah. So I said, Okay, this week, you do that. Next week, uh, Justin will switch into that position. And then Nick will and write us a night tight best practices page and we'll iterate on that. And then yeah. that'll be training, because each person has a different way of finding great guests. So anyway, I, this is a long way of saying I'm examining everybody's uh, productivity and through this different techniques like time banking and you know time blocking and did i do a good job as a manager giving the instructions as to what's important so that we don't have to hire a ton of people mm-hmm. so we don't have to increase expenses into what could be a possible recession where revenue could be going down mm-hmm. and so as a leader and as an employee if you are, do think we're in a recession mm-hmm. this is a great way to avoid uh, layoffs or to make the company stronger and mm-hmm. if management can start management and employees start looking at as a team we want to win and the analogy here is if you look at the warriors they don't think about who scores the most points they think about you know how crisp of a pass can they make how can they break down defenses what's the most optimal shot they can take not mm-hmm. what's optimal for me what's the most optimal shot and so that's what i'm trying to think about as a leader for me is am i creating in our organization the optimization that we need and You know, that whole discussion we had about the QS, I won't tell people what that is because I consider a competitive advantage, but the QS project we've been working on for the last 30 days, Mm -hmm. did you see the massive uplift in productivity? It's Mm -hmm. like, whoa, this thing's going to be like a machine. That directly came from watching the Warriors and how they pass the ball. I was Mm -hmm. just thinking, the ball needs to move. It's about the speed of the ball. It's not about the individual contributor's ability to shoot or not. Like, sure, you want Steph to shoot. Clay can shoot, Draymond can shoot Wiggins can shoot. They got a lot of shooting. Jordan. Jordan. There's a lot of people who can shoot on that team. Just move the ball around. That's what's yeah. important is the speed for that. But for us, it's the TTM, which I won't tell what that is. But that speed is what's the equivalent of the ball movement. Yep. So here ends it the yeah. lesson.
1: Here ends the lesson.
0: We're all in it together. If you're a founder of a company, this is This Week in Startups. If you're a founder of a company, start reviewing the calendars with your team and you have to just give them the disclaimer upfront i'm not doing this to micromanage you i'm right. doing this so you're 10% 20% more productive so we get the equivalent of you know 10% 20% more employees and where this hits the the rubber meets the road is if an employer can feel that you're working but 8 hours a day what you're getting paid consistently and efficiently then the whole discussion about working from home becomes like almost an afterthought Right. I know you're productive, right? Uh, and and that's we're the working idea. on your productivity together. We're collaborators on your productivity. If you're a startup, you know you have to save where you can. I'm talking time, I'm talking money, and I'm talking bandwidth. That's why we love Coda. Coda is one document to rule them all. And here is a quick example. My guy Prash just made a beautiful template for investor updates that you can go and duplicate right now at thisweekinstartups.com/slash investor updates. Why should you send investor updates? Well, the more informed your investors are, the more engaged they will be in your startup. That means they're gonna help you find other investors. They're gonna invest more money themselves. Those are the two most critical factors, and maybe they'll help you find customers or help you with an exit. That's why you wanna keep investors up to date, but people don't know what should go in an investor update. Well, we made a template. And Coda has a ton of templates and you can just duplicate a template and get to work right away. It's almost like they do half the work for you. Coda works right out of the box. It's completely customizable. Your text and your tables live together in the same document, which means all your valuable data, objectives and strategies are in one place. It's nice and clean. Nothing gets lost and your team is literally on the same page. So join the productivity revolution and sign up for Coda today. At dakota.io slash twist to sign up and get a thousand dollar credit. That's coda.io slash twist for one thousand dollars off. Mm-hmm. That, cha- I think, I don't know, you tell me what you think of my, you know, performance on this uh, objectively and the just concept writ large in relation to go back to work in an yeah. office because we don't know if you're working or not.
1: Right, exactly. Like, I think that there is, I appreciate a lot the recognition that going to the office becomes a shorthand for productivity. And that's not always yes. the case, you know, that every organization, no matter what, has hitters and sitters. And sitters are like it. I think I just made that up. Actually, I've never you heard, heard that sitters, before. You hitters and sitters. Yeah. And, and it's sort of figuring. And And frankly, there are some roles where you need hitters and there are some roles where it's okay to mm-hmm. have a bit of a sitter, but when you're in a downturn, you need them to stand up. And so yeah. the question is how you get them to do that. And I think mm-hmm. like, that, that there's no question that trying to understand where the misses are. Yeah, and you know, my only note to you would be mm-hmm. to say all of the things you just said up front before you're like give me your calendars.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> because you then do, no
1: one I'll knows i do a better why. job of that. Yeah. So in our meeting in like an hour. Yeah, that that would be a great thing to set up the way you just said it yeah. because that there's yeah. nothing about that that doesn't make sense, and there's nothing about that that doesn't include the fact that like what we're really trying to do is say. What are we wasting time on? That's and, really the point. You know, and what could really we be optimizing for? Because there's yeah. probably something in every organization. I encounter this all the time. There's something your boss told you to do three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Still doing. And you're still doing it like yeah. a nice squirrel on a hamster two on a Two hours a week. Yeah. You're spending two hours a week doing three that, years, but the priorities
0: hours. have Laced changed. It. Yeah. Right?
1: Exactly. Your boss's priority has changed. The the goals have changed. The market yeah. has evolved. You're still spending Three hundred hours a year on that thing, yeah. so once in a while we got to go look at the wheel, yeah, and yeah. figure out which which routes we're running that we don't need to be running, and that's like
0: exactly what we're
1: With we're trying to do now, and it's great. And there should I be a goal in mind. There are OKRs in mind at the end yeah. of the if
0: if I think if every company did this professional training, I think you get ten percent better a month for three or four months sustained, no problem. Definitely. Five to ten percent better. Uh, then you look at time blocking and just time management and efficiency there maybe depending on the person, it's one to 10%. Uh, anyway, you put these two things together, if the two numbers can equal between training and, you know, time management 10. And, and then there's a third, which is clarity of the goals. Yes. So those three pieces, clarity of goals, your own personal time management, uh, and training, let's say they get you five, but 5% better each month, it's 15% better, 15% better compounded because of the rule of 72, you divide that 15 into 72, uh, you're going to get, uh, like four point something, right? Five, yeah. basically, uh, go five it right. means in five months, you'll be twice as good. You'll be twice as efficient. Yeah. Now that seems crazy. It's actually true. It's yeah. actually true. If you actually compound being better at your job with training, you could be twice as good in six months. Of course, like think yeah. of a chef, you know, some chef is making food. They could they make it twice as good, twice as fast. If they got 15% better every month, it's just obvious. So compounding growth is the lesson and uh you know this all came up because there was i guess some leaked uh emails from elon to his management team that he you know he's building real products in the world uh anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum and i mean a minimum of 40 hours per week or depart tesla this is less than we ask of factory workers the factory workers obviously are putting in probably 50 hours a week um and then a follow-up email Mm -hmm. the key graph was um there are, of course, Elon, I guess, made, did a follow-up email, to be super clear, because mm-hmm. he's being clear as a manager as well. There are, of course, companies that don't require this, but when was the last time they shipped a great new product? I think he's talking about Apple uh, or Google, maybe. Uh, but no, they're both coming back to work. I, I mean, They plenty, haven't come back to work. It's been a while. Uh, uh, it's been a while. I think he's probably talking to Apple uh, about Apple there. Tesla ha- has and will create, actually. <laughs> Apple, will, come on, it's been decades. Like they're yeah. just iterating.
1: I mean, they've been they've been iterating. I give them credit for AirPods on the watch. Yeah, AirPods and the Watch are great. They're accessories to the iPhone. I okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, right. you know my belief on this, right? Like Apple revolves around the sun and the sun is the iPhone.
0: I you know, I do think and they make the, great
1: accessories to the iPhone, but I don't yeah. know that like I mean
0: I, the watch, I think by version six or seven, which is what I when I was I finally got rid of my Fitbit like Apple was being beaten by Fitbit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was like a deprecating product that nobody was paying attention to for many years, like it, yeah. you didn't see many changes in it. It was still a better product than Apple watches. The Apple Watch I think is on par with the Fitbit now. Um, but you know, to what Elon says here is there, are, of course, companies but Tesla yeah. has and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful products of any company on Earth. This is will not be happening by phoning it in. So I think there's something different going on here. You know, he is actually building the stuff too. they're not outsourcing the building of this to some factory, which Apple does, right? Apple has contract manufacturers who make their stuff. Yeah. So I understand I whatever of your, your company was, you know. if
1: you are like, we can only accomplish this this way. Yeah, then make that clear to your employees. And that's the deal. Yeah. But I think managers are going to have a tendency. people are going to have a tendency reading this email to be like, oh, I too can only accomplish that my thing this way. And that may not be true for your company, because you don't make cars or spaceships, I, I,
0: Exactly. Right, like
1: figure out what your product is and how your team can get it done and evaluate it and you might find that 80% of your people need to be in the office i don't know right i think we're still that's still really
0: an open question like yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna be and then there's this other thing there's competition for employees um and so i've seen in companies that are remote at the early stages their costs go down and the time to fill positions go down yeah um and they're product shipping goes up in a software company, specifically. So um, now, will it make the most refined great products? That's going to be another question. So it certainly is really hard to relocate people. Mm-hmm. You know, you hire an iOS developer, and they start, you know, in two weeks, they resign. they start in two weeks. And they're working from anywhere and they work for a third less than the one in Silicon Valley needs to and the one in Silicon Valley is commuting two hours a day and they are less productive and hate their life. Like you can see how this works out, right? So it, totally. it's gonna, it, I think that's the way we'll hash out. What I think is it's gonna be different strokes for different founders. Um, yeah. and right now, I, I gave it a lot of thought over the last couple of months as things reopened. Do I want to move back to an in-person thing? And I was like, for me, I think I want to try for the next year, uh, four times a year getting together and doing like serious team building, professional development for four days or five mm-hmm. days. And so, I guess yeah. the working for me is going to be you have four weeks away from your family a year, which is not insignificant, right? right. It's going to be significant amount of time away. From, I mean, it, it's insignificant compared to going to an office, right? But it's insignificant for never going anywhere. So, I think that's going to just be the balance I'm going to try to do, which is yeah, you know, it's twenty days away from your family a year out of three hundred sixty-five. It's a lot less than you know uh, going to an office every day. So, there, yeah, I yeah, think so. Works. A lot of rambling thoughts.
1: So many thoughts such a long show for you today. And Sorry. next up is our great interview, which also yeah. went longer than we expected with yes. Drone Up founder and CEO Tom
0: Walker. So don't be tired because this yeah. is totally worth you got it. A lot of show, you just you don't do what I did. I went on the treadmill this morning. You got an Obi Wan episode out tomorrow. Lon Harris is on the show. We'll go through the three Obi Wan episodes. And I think we have two Star Trek, two Star Trek.
1: Also, I two started Star
0: watching, Star watching winning time. About oh, the building you know, of the Showtime Lakers? I want to start watching that. I heard it's great. Uh, is it great? You got to watch
1: that. It's great. I've, I'm okay. one episode in. It's fantastic. Maybe we'll so we might that have to add that, that to the docket.
0: Yeah. So tomorrow we'll whip through the first three episodes of Obi-Wan and the first two episodes of the new Star Trek. Or is it three episodes of Star Trek? I'm not sure. Oh, God. I don't know. I better go look. Yeah, we better check. Some some, <laughs> I better t- put, some producer. I better put Star Trek on my calendar today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, time block it. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not your time, Molly. Not my time. <laughs> that better not be during the day. All right. Next up on the show, Molly and I. We're talking about drone delivery, and we were super excited that unbeknownst to us in America, Walmart is shipping stuff uh, with a company called DroneUp, and it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also got somebody from Ireland who's running a test, by the way, Molly, who said, uh, hey, you know, your premise that my premise was during that that DroneUp talk. Uh, here at Walmart was that this would work in the countryside really well, like, you know, uh, and that maybe cities were too dense. uh, So it would kind of go least dense to most dense. But he said, Hey, actually, we're in a kind of a dense suburb. And he showed me a picture in Ireland of, you know, 10s of 1000s of flights that had been done for delivery. Mm -hmm. And so apparently, these um, deliveries are starting to happen in less populated, but somewhat populated areas.
1: It's real. So we got pretty excited about this. But we also had a lot of just like logistical questions about the logistics of this. Uh, And so thank you to producer Justin, who just went out and got us the CEO of drone up Tom Walker, who uh, is has a long history in super interesting things related to this Did web development uh, in the late 90s through 2017 was in the Navy as a web systems officer and nuclear power plant operator, and then now uh, has started DroneUp, which has raised $13 million, last closed a $5 million round in November, in November, 2021. Walmart is an investor. And now these drones are in the air. Welcome to the show, Tom.
3: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you for your service, Uh, nuclear power plant operator, uh, and in the Navy. So
3: thanks so yeah, much. You can for tell I have ADHD. I've done a little bit of have everything. Have you
1: seen Top Gun? I think that's my really most important question. Did you go I see Maverick? It,
3: I saw it Sunday at lunch uh, with uh, with my family. I did finally. And what'd you think? What'd you think? Um, I didn't think they could make it one better, and and they did.
0: Right? Wow! I oh totally my God! Agree. I'm getting so much FOMO. You gotta I'm waiting go. for my daughter to come back from a trip she's on. To see it with her. I'm probably going to see it Thursday night, but I am so, so excited. It's
3: I'm only so the third, it. second or third movie I've ever been to in my life where the audience gave an applause. Mm. So, yeah. wow.
1: I know Here we, we had that experience too. People were cheering. I saw it twice this weekend because I'm a giant nerd, but I'm glad that you liked it. I saw it with an Air Force buddy who was pretty impressed, even though obviously it was hard for her because Navy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But she she appreciated Her dad was a Navy pilot. Okay, we are way off topic now. We're We're really excited to
0: talk about drones. (laughs) So, I guess we we have a lot of questions. How many Walmarts are currently actively delivering stuff? Like, what is the state of this? Because when when we hear about this technology five, six, seven, eight years ago, everybody was like, hey, this is going to happen. Then there was a 60 Minutes episode, if you remember, where Amazon showed it. And then it kind of went away for four years. And we've been all sitting here going, we were promised Starbucks you know, cups delivered and, you know, our medicine and yeah, we see things in Africa where people are doing the fixed wing, you know, delivery of blood and parachutes like it's a very cute situation. They don't have river, they don't have bridges and roads that can easily get this blood or medicine to places. So we, we kind of expect, I think, as consumers and technologists, okay, the most acute situations where people really need the technology is uh, happening, but we didn't actually weren't aware that this is happening. So what's, what's the actual state? How many deliveries were done yesterday? How many stores have done it?
3: Uh, I don't have the exact count yesterday. I would, I would assume uh, dozens uh, were completed yesterday. But uh, where we are right now is uh, we're open in two locations. So we're in Farmington, Arkansas and in Bentonville. Um, and over the course of the next several months, we'll be opening up 32 additional locations. So we'll be operating in six states. Um, and, and in multiple cities, each city that we'll be operating in, will have a minimum of three locations. There's some logistical reasons why we do that. Um, but by the end of the year, um, yeah, the goal is to have, uh, 34 fully operational. Um, and then, uh, we're already planning for 2023.
1: You're headquartered in Arkansas, right?
3: We're headquartered in Virginia beach. Oh, in Virginia um, Beach, sorry. Interestingly enough, I grew up in Arkansas in a really small town in southern Arkansas. And when I left and I gr- I left and at 16 and said I'm never coming back to the state. And and it's like the mob, it j- just dragged me back. And then I realized, wow, Northwest Arkansas is actually a really nice place. And and I didn't I didn't realize it realize how nice it was. So I uh, we, we do have an office there, but we we remain headquartered in Virginia Beach. Gotcha. How
0: how do consumers Actually, interface with the product. Are people being invited, or if you have that Walmart, can you just click a button and say drone delivery? And then, how do you communicate what happens next to a consumer and know where they pre-invited because you've looked at Google Maps and see they have a big enough backyard? How does one opt into drone delivery in Arkansas?
3: Yeah, we like to say we're 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 one of the only companies, if not the only company, that's doing store to door delivery seven days a week, twelve hours a day. And it's not limited to a handful of SKUs. It's not limited to any particular, I mean, obviously within a mile, mile and a half of the store, obviously is our range right now. Talk about why maybe later, but so you go right now, you go to droneupdelivery.com and you enter your address and it basically says whether you're eligible for drone delivery. Um, And now right now that that's separate Uh, over the course of the next uh, several months, that'll be integrated into the Walmart experience so that you won't have to kind of have two different experiences. But it's 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 like any typical e-commerce order you go, you put in your address. It checks a lot of conditions. It checks the current your location and where you are in the delivery area. It checks current weather. It checks if, if there are any type of issues going on. Uh, like first responder activity that can interfere. If none of those things are blockers for you being able to get delivery, then you can go on and and search through the catalog. Um, You know, there's typically anywhere between 10 and 20. And in some of our larger stores, 30,000 items that are available for delivery. Uh, You place the order and pay for the order. Uh, Once the order is placed, when in typically in about 20 to 22 minutes, the package is delivered on your back porch. Uh, while we're en route, you get notified that the drone is en route. Please have all the you know, children and pets and, and grandma in the house. And then once the drone is overhead, it lowers down to about 80 feet. Um, it is visually inspected to make sure the area is clear. And then the product is gently lowered to the ground. The drone stays at 80 feet and the product is gently lowered to the ground, set on the back porch and leave. And And in fact, because we stay at that high altitude, we've actually had people uh, let us tell us that uh, they didn't even realize the drone had had shown up and delivered the product. So it's not noisy. It's not loud. It's not invasive.
1: Wow. So what can we back up to like sort of your origin story? What made you get into this space and and make, you know, inroads inroads into Walmart this quickly?
3: Well, um, yeah, I got into space because I, I, I was in Best Buy one day and, and, and they had these drones for sale and I started researching them. And, and, I, and it, I was so enthralled that for less than a, a couple thousand dollars, you could buy something in Best Buy that had more technology on it than the space shuttle did at the time. And, and, and so I, I actually bought one, took it home and crashed it the very first day. But it was the information that the manufacturer shared with me in terms of how to analyze what had happened and what we had done. And I, I realized, wow, these are very, very powerful. And I I, I believed and, and my colleagues believed at the time that drones were going to have an impact on society, positive or negative. And we wanted to make sure that we could do our best to ensure that it was positive.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, I have so many pragmatic, like simple questions about yeah, this. how this like, works. Here, here's one. Um, how do you decide what route to take to somebody's house? Because I great. was thinking that these things would be great for cities, including VTOLs, you know, the ones that carry humans, the vertical takeoff. I was thinking, wow, if you're, if you're in a, um, a city by the bay, like we are in the Bay Area, or Sydney or New York with a lot of waterways, you can just fly these things over the water. If they fall out of the sky, which is everybody's big fear, safety, it just hits the water. No, no harm, no foul, in all likelihood, the chances of it hitting a, a boat are very low. So right. what route do you take? Do you, do you go I was thinking maybe you go along the highway so that if it falls it hits a car and that's more safe than not hitting a car but maybe that's disastrous so you go over you you plot routes that are over farmland how, how do you route these for safety I'm assuming
3: It's a really it's a really good question we don't do any routing so our software is completely autonomous so the only mm-hmm. thing that we tell the drone is the address and it knows where it's taking off And Mm. so, it dynamically builds a route based on a lot of things. Number one is uh, there are certain areas that are flagged in the system to not fly over. Don't fly over moving vehicles. Don't fly over people. Mm. Don't fly over schools. Don't fly over parks. Don't fly over churches. So, you're Mm. right. Water routes, our our system will automatically take those routes. Uh, If there's not a water route, it'll tend to take rooftop routes because these things are not that heavy. So, if they go down… Hit a roof, they might do some shingle damage, but they're probably not going to hurt anyone. Mm. Um, and, and 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 yes, there is a possibility somebody could be standing on a roof, but those generally that doesn't happen. Um, and 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 it also detects cell phones from the ground. We don't know who it is or, or, or that type of data, but we can actually detect cell phone signals from the ground. If we see a conglomeration of of three or more cell phones, it'll dynamically route around them. So it's never it's always wow. attempting to obviate flight over people. And then it's using different altitudes and different directions. One other thing we take into consideration is environmental conditions. If we're carrying a package, we would certainly like the wind. Uh, We like the tailwind. It makes it more efficient. When we're returning, we'll we'll fly into the wind. And then we'll also adjust altitudes based on what the most efficient flight altitude is um, for that particular area or environmental uh, uh, situation. That is
0: fascinating. All that is happening automatically yeah. with software. So if, if somebody's having a backyard party, or they're having a party in a park, and there's 100 cell phones there, it's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't fly over 100 cell phones, pretty reasonable idea. That is incredible. What is the height they fly at? And what is the speed they fly at? And why do you pick certain heights or speed?
3: Um, so, we, we have to stay below 400 feet um, always because that's FAA regulations. There are certain areas that have different flight ceilings like around airports and other things that have different flight ceilings. We typically like to travel about between 180 and 200 feet is our travel altitude mm-hmm. and then lower down and deliver from 80. We can deliver from as high as 200, but for efficiency purposes, we like to lower down to 80 feet. It gets us in and out of there in under a minute. Uh, the reason that we chose that that particular altitude is we burn the most energy on takeoff and landing because you think about uh-huh. these things are taking off. So the higher we go, we, we're we burning a percent, 2% every 10 or 15 feet. So 200 feet is good because when we're flying over neighborhoods, especially when we're flying at night and it's quiet, uh, they can barely hear it. It's, it's much quieter even than an aircraft flying over. Uh, so it's low enough for efficiency, but high enough to mansh- ensure the sound profile is uh, is not obtrusive.
1: Yeah, like how much reserve battery is built into plotting every route? Because I would imagine that would be a concern if you find oh, there is that party in the park, and we got to make a pretty big detour. Battery seems like just the b- biggest limiter.
3: It's absolutely. I mean, right now in our operation, our two biggest costs are people in batteries, uh, mm-hmm. because we're we're we 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 tend to keep that battery percentage. Reserve higher than it probably should be. Uh, but we operate very, very cautiously now. We have to. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got to maintain the record of safety and demonstrate to the communities and to the regulators that we can do this safely. So we're, we're probably more cautious in terms of the number of personnel available and less and, uh, and, and, in, and in terms of, uh, the battery percentage. But you got to remember too, we're always dynamically rerouting. So we're keeping about 40%, 35 to 40% reserve on the batteries. Because the other thing that we do is if we detect a first responder activity. So if our system gets notified that there's a, a, a 911 call at a particular address or in a particular area or, you know, a fire dispatch uh, into a particular area, all of the drones that are in the air will dynamically reroute mm-hmm. and deconflict with each other. So there's continual rerouting going on, whether it's information on the ground, whether it's additional data coming in, or if we sense a low flying aircraft. Uh, from ADSB, b uh, will automatically adjust the entire operating fleets altitude down just to maintain a, a, a large margin of safety. Do,
0: do the drone companies all coordinate drone activity yet on a central database in some way? I know planes have, you know, devices on them to let you know. I was actually in a small aircraft when a beacon went off and we looked off to the left. And sure enough, there was somebody flying who didn't see us and we had to make, take in a, you know, slightly evasive maneuver. I don't know what those are called in, in small aircraft, but do do drones have a similar system where they're aware of each other? Uh, and is there like some database of this? Like, hey, there's drone activity in this area. So if a com- if another commercial drone operator or a police department was putting up a drone, I guess you would know because of the 911 call. But if, I don't know, a drone club, you know, at a high school has five drones in the air, how do you know that you're not going to have drones crash into each other?
3: Yeah, that's one of the issues that our industry is trying to to resolve now. So for example, we have ADSB in. So ADSB is what the airplanes use to let everybody know who they are, where they are, uh, you know, basic information about them. Uh, uh, the FA regulations say that drones can use ADSB in so we can hear mm. the manned aircraft around them. Now, that's also making the assumption that they all have it and they don't. Some of the smaller right. private aircraft do not have ADSB yet. Mm. But, uh, but we can't squawk. So they don't, the, the planes don't have a way of knowing where we are yet. One of the things that is, that's, that's, that's coming is what's called remote ID. And that's going to be a new requirement for operating drones in the U.S. where you are basically transmitting, uh, your location and, and some, some basic fundamental details to create that picture that you're talking about. One of the things that we did, uh, last year was we acquired AirMap, which is a UTM, unmanned traffic management platform. Uh, that's being used in, in several places around the world, and one of the things that we do is we put all of our flights into that system, and we share that system. So anybody, public safety, or or, or the Department of Aviation, or the FAA, they can see mm. uh, they can see where all of our flights are. And then the other thing that we're doing to try to help promote commercial growth and collaboration uh, is we are basically allowing any of the commercial operators that are operating the same place to go in and reserve their volumetric airspace. So if they say, I need to do a commercial operation here, we let them go in and reserve that airspace. And then we dynamically route all of our delivery traffic around that space so that those commercial operators can continue to do uh, their operations. And, and, and by doing that in certain areas where there'll be a high concentration uh, of operators. Uh, we think that that database, until remote ID is is more fundamentally set, um, we think that that will create that kind of picture, airspace picture that you're talking about. We have That's, to do that yeah. because all of our systems will deconflict our, our, our aircraft. Most of the operators that we're you know, seeing on the other side or theirs will deconflict, but we, we have to be able to deconflict each other.
1: So you're, you're building creating, go ahead Molly. Yeah. We're probably going to say the same thing. I mean it sounds like what you're creating is air traffic control for drones so that not only are you the delivery network but you're the provider potentially of this future logistical hub for managing
3: all of this traffic. Well, if you want to think over the horizon a little bit, I mean uh, you, um, you you've got our drones operating in the air. You've got some of them are doing deliveries, some of them are doing drone services. You've got other drone operators in the air. Uh, public safety and so forth. And then let's think of head just a little bit to urban air mobility when now you've got air taxis in the air. And then that means you've also got air ambulances in the air. So it becomes not just a matter of deconflicting the airspace, it becomes a matter of prioritization, right? How do we, if it's an ambulance and this is a, you know, a medevac, you know, you've got to be able to clear airspaces and corridors for those uh, folks to move quickly through there. Now, again, that's down the road a little bit, but we we have to be able to figure out a way to not just deconflict the airspace for safety purposes, but allow certain uh, aspects to continue in certain conditions and certain uh, certain uh, operations that just have to be stopped at certain times. Yeah.
0: I love the concept molly of there being like lanes. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, you know, Walmart's like, hey, we're going to be taking this lane out and and this lane back. It's almost like a dynamic flight plan where everybody knows, hey, this drone should be in this approximate height 180 feet. And then if a drone's coming back, maybe the drones coming back are at the odd numbers. So 190 210 230, which I think planes do when they're going, I believe, east and west you know, one direction is an even number 31,000 feet and in the, in the, in the other direction is 32. So th- this has been thought of before and thought through you have so much volumetric space in air that the, you can actually do really interesting uh, uh, general rules like that. Here's a question, Tom, are you currently um, monitoring every flight? So because we, we did see you have these like really interesting, almost like a, a tower. But it Mm -hmm. looks like it's on some sort of a hinge and we were guessing what that is and then you had a platform to watch the drones, I believe, or an operation center, the drones typically have cameras. So during this early period where you're doing dozens a day, eventually become hundreds and thousands hundreds and probably low thousands in the next year, I'm guessing, are, are you having operators watch, you know, the item drop, watch the route and just. How many humans to drones, you know, watching stuff do you have if you are using humans as safety? Backups? We are.
3: So right now, under current FAA regulations, we have to have a, a, a drone operator maintain visual contact uh, or, or a visual observer. Somebody has to maintain visual contact with the drone at all times. Got it. That is a something that the the, the industry, the FAA... Capitol Hill, everybody's working on how to, what, how do we adjust those and, and lift the constraint on the industry so that we can kind of cut that back a little bit. Uh, right mm-hmm. now it's one drone operator to one drone. Uh, there are a few of us who have waivers in right now to go one operator to four drones or five drones. Uh, from a standpoint of being able to scale without having to add that many bodies, uh, that's going to be necessary. Uh, that is, and it, that is, uh, I think it's 10725. It's a, it's an existing waiver that you can apply for. Um, but the, but so, but our purpose in the tower, it is our air traffic control tower, the thing that you saw that looked like a basically an air tra- mobile air traffic control tower. The reason that we do that is to give the pilot a better line of sight so that we can send the drone out further. So if you think about it, if you're standing on the ground at five foot, 10 inch eyesight, and the drone it goes out and has to land or has to go down below, y- you would lose it. You wouldn't be able to go very far. So mm. we keep the operator's line of sight. Uh, the, uh, the operator's eyesight is at 31 feet uh, off the ground. And because the drone can do go down as low as 80, but as high as 100, you can see how that gives us much better view and longer range. And then with, you know, um, enhanced lighting and, and other things, we maintain a really good visual on the drone.
1: So can yeah, I, one person watch more than one drone, or do you have to have, is it a one-to-one equation right, right now?
3: Today, it's one-to-one. Uh, they wow. do offer, uh, the FAA does approve waivers for that, but you have to prove to them that your software systems, your safety protocols, and, and your risk assessments uh, are, are justified, allowing you to do so. And, and, and that is one of our active uh, waiver submittals we have right into the FAA right now is a, a, a one-to-five uh, mm-hmm. waiver application
0: and 1.5 miles um, seems extremely doable, given the battery. So I would assume part of this is as things get safer, the distance can go and then eventually maybe you don't need to have somebody watching every one of them, maybe you, there's 100 of them going out. And if they have an issue, that one pops up in front of the operator. So yeah. I'm curious, how does safety? Uh, what What is your Obviously, the goal is to have nobody get ever get hurt and no drones to fall out of the sky. Obviously, that's not realistic. Accidents happen. And so I'm guessing, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're looking at delivery accidents that occur in the world in that neighborhood uh, with Amazon or Walmart cars or Ubers or Lyfts. And then comparing the UPS and the FedEx drivers and their fender benders and the damage they cause to yours. Is that the benchmark? Or do you think your benchmark has to be two or three times higher? Which is already where Tesla's autopilot is. I think the latest study that came out is like, uh, Tesla drivers, who are in Teslas, get in like a third as many accidents, as when the same Tesla drivers are in their other cars. So you know that was like a very interesting way to study it. Is not to compare Tesla drivers to other drivers because then you got correlation issues. It's when they're in their gas power cars if they have both, <laughs> they get in more accidents with the gas power ones, which makes sense. They doesn't have the se- the sensor kits. So how are you judging safety? What's a reasonable way? To be judged, but how do you think the public is judging you? So a all really those different judging, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Sections. Um, uh, well, our, our, everything we do is about safety. When when you hear our conversations, we talk about safety throughout the day. It's a it, it, it's almost become an obsession with us in terms of how often we discuss safety. And one of the things that I say to the new uh, cohort groups that come on when we're getting ready to open a new hub, one of the first things I say when I go walk into the room, and one of the last things I say when I walk out is safety over revenues. We will take safety over revenue every single day. If there is any reason that you, I don't care if you've been on site five years or you've been on site five minutes, if something doesn't feel right, then we stop the operation. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to do that at first until they realize we weren't kidding. Um, I think there's an enormous amount of pressure on it. We take the responsibility of having this opportunity to help move the industry forward. We take it uh, humbly but we take the responsibility of operating safely much more serious and, and we look at that as the real opportunity to put numbers on the board the problem right now and, and 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 i'm not being pejorative to the faa when i say this but we're being held in many ways to the same standards that 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 crude aviation uh and, you know or or we used to say manned aviation is held to Um, and, and so you start looking at the numbers of serious accidents that have happened by drone over the last three years, um, of the handful, the handful, and I want to say five or six serious accidents that have happened that, that somebody was injured, uh, in every single one of those cases, it was the operator who got injured. I mean, doing something like there was one where the drone just stopped responding. And so the guy decided to reach up and grab it and pull it out of the sky. Bad idea. Mm, yeah. Um, and 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 then another one where the tether, you know, they couldn't rewind the tether, so they tried to pull the drone out of the air using the delivery tether. They're not our people, right? Just want to point out, not yeah. that, that, but us. But it's obviously the real challenge. And this is what I remind everybody: is yes, we've got a great track record as an industry, but we haven't been flying a hundred thousand flights a day beyond visual line of sight, carrying packages in disparate mm-hmm. environmental conditions and and other. Uh, you know radio wave signals and things that we 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 may or may not be aware of, so uh, what we have to do now is take this opportunity while we're in that smaller radius to like I said, put numbers on the board, demonstrate that we can be safe uh and 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 also have the opportunity to deal with some incidents that we've de- we've had to deal with incidents i mean you know and and we learned from it i mean we when we started in the early days, we were using nine. 915 megahertz to to, is uh, to connect to the drones now today we have you know multiple sim cards operating over lte with at least two providers and at least two sims per provider for reliability plus you know other types of redundancy that we've built in and so so i think
0: double duplex even on the connections yeah Yeah. that's correct yeah. yeah. So multiple so, carriers,
3: multiple carriers, multiple sims per carrier. That's how we operate. What, what's the Love what's it. the
0: what instances have you had that are challenging? You, you, have you lost a drone yet? And uh, yeah, what did you learn from it?
3: So we've only of the of the of the the heavy you know duty drones, the ones that are actually in production in the field. We have lost one that was not in the field. That was here in the test facility in Virginia Beach. Um, because you know when the man you know as we're rolling them out we think we know what the specs are but you know we have a group here um inside of of drone up that sole job is to find out what those those uh limits really are Mm. and 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 what kind of things can go wrong you know we'll put them in a scenario where we'll say you've got to launch this drone really really fast we would never do this in the real world but stuff like that to see what kind of things can go wrong how do we catch how do we how do we catch these in risk cases where somebody might be going a little quickly um and 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 that's what happened with one that we had here but it was in the test field it was in the test facility and I say lost mm. it i mean it, it it it's being repaired but but mm. but 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 they did a uh, they did an unplanned uh uh, uh altitude uh, drop event
1: yeah mm. Got it. I What's the speed? really want oh, yes. to come on a field trip and see the drone test pilots push them yeah. to their limits.
0: <laughs> what is this? What is the speed now? And, uh, cause I mean, I've seen these things back in the early days when they were uncapped, they didn't have limiters on them. And I, I saw right. these things doing 70, 80 miles an hour, I think, and it was terrifying. So what is the, what is there a limit that the FAA has put on speed? What do you think the right speed limit is? Because, uh, it would seem to me that going fast means the shorter the trip, the less the more safe it is because you have less time in air less things that can happen or is there some sort of curve of speed to safety and there's some optimal speed to safety because does going faster make it less safe or more safe because right. it's a shorter trip i don't know
3: what have you learned um you know i think the faa I, we don't go anywhere near this speed right now so i don't i think it's 100 miles per hour i will have to confirm that but um, yeah. you know none of us we maintain about 25 miles an hour is about our maximum flight speed for a variety of reasons that 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 are important. One is efficiency, battery efficiency. Uh, two, well, let's start back with safety. Um, you know, at that speed, there's always the ability to take control, alter route, do whatever. Um, also, at that speed, we found out that at 101,000 flights, we haven't had a single incident with uh a bird or something flying in the air and that's a big deal for us right because in, when i was in the mm-hmm. navy it was all about coming into port and not hitting a whale here it's all about not hitting a bird it, it, people say well you don't want to hit the bird because it'll it'll bring the drone down it, it might um probably not unless it was a really big bird th- with the drones that we're operating but it's more about wanting to minimize look the, part of the benefit here is that it, we're operating on batteries uh there's you know we're not there's no emissions from the drone so yeah. let's go ahead and be one step safer and let's, let's try to do our best to protect the environment and, and, the, and the critters that were flying there before we were.
1: Mm. Yeah, totally. Right. Um, one last sort of big picture question related to all of this, you know, FAA regulations, battery technology, adoption, consumer concern. What do you think that the time horizon looks like for this to be something that is totally commonplace when you're ordering online?
3: You know, if you'd asked me that two years ago, um, I probably would have given you a much different answer than I'm going to give you now. But when we, I think part of the test, I used to joke until two years ago, you had a better chance of getting hit by a stray golf ball in your bathroom than you did the news running a positive story about drones. Right? Everything was negative, 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 negative. Yeah. And 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 when when the pandemic hit, and we were given the opportunity to partner with Walmart on the COVID test kit delivery. Um, I think it was a, an interesting moment for our industry because people were scared. They wanted to know if they had COVID. A lot of them didn't want to get in the car. They didn't want to sit for hours in these lines. So it was the first time for them to be able to order these kits and have them delivered at home and then, and then just drop them in the mail and send them back. Uh, it was amazing the number of people who, had, even during the COVID test kit delivery in Chictawaga and North Las Vegas and Texas and El Paso, who wouldn't drive up to the store to get tested, but would order the COVID test kit, have it delivered, and then drive to the store to tell us how amazing the experience was. <laughs> and, and I think that's when we really started to see a shift and people went, well, they're not loud. They're not noisy. We explained to them. We go in and we do community outreach and we tell them we don't record any video while we're flying. We don't take any pictures. Even we, when we first started, we were taking a picture of the package just to show it's delivered, kind of like an Amazon driver does. So you'll get a picture yeah. that says delivered. We don't even do that. So from the time that we take off to the time we land, we're not recording. We're not taking pictures. Um, and, and we tell the communities this. And I'll tell you in Arkansas right now, um, we have people who drive up to the hub every day, um, and, and ask, when are you going to be able to deliver to my house? When are you going to be able to deliver to my house? And, 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 and we'll tell them and they'll come back. But to your question on how, when it's going to be commonplace, um, I think it's going to happen a lot more quickly than people think. I mean, here's what we've got to overcome. We've got three different drones that we're working with right now. We've got these drones right now that you're seeing the pictures of. Those are being replaced next month by another drone. Uh, that'll have about a three to five mile range that out and back um and and we'll be able to go a little bit faster um uh, the next generation drone that's coming out is is not a quad it's a whole totally different uh drone and uh that's going to have uh about a 90 minute flight time and it'll be able to travel at about 80 miles an hour so holy we're cow already that sounds
0: like a super game changer awesome. that means you're going It, it is a game changer, away. but
3: the, it's great that we can go that fast and that far but the problem is is we're still stuck with regulatory issues right yeah, in order when, yeah, well, yeah. And, and and because the FAA, you know, we just finished this process with the FAA, but called the uh Arc uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee, and 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 giving recommendations, we've got three or four paths that we think are going to crack the door open for going beyond visual line of sight. But what I tell the industry, and I remind everybody, is everybody wants to go Beevloss. They say, look, our industry would just explode if we could fi- fly beyond visual line of sight. And I ask all the time, OK, who, which one of your businesses is not able to scale now because you can't fly beef loss? Well, uh, you know, it, and it's it, the reality is nobody's proven that that's limiting what we're doing now by starting to do these deliveries and then hitting a concentration level where if we could go one more mile, we could increase, you know, delivery revenues by 45, 50, 60 percent. And if you've got 200,000 safe flights at a mile or a mile and a half or mile 1.2, give me the chance to go to two. And I think that starts to increase it. And when you think about over 90% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of Walmart, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got basically a couple of hundred thousand SKUs that are designed for the audience that lives around that Walmart, these become distribution centers. Uh, and, and, and that are provide an in, in incredible opportunity. And then the last thing I'll say is, uh, we are right now at about 22 minutes from the time you push place the order until it's delivered, uh, 70% of that time is trying to get the product out and to the drone. And we think yeah. through optimization over the next, uh, 12 months, we'll get that down. And our goal is to be delivering in s- under 15 minutes, um, here in the next say eight to 10 months.
0: Well, I mean, eventually, the Walmart will be built uh, such that you or an Amazon facility or whatever facility will be built such that you'll be able to go right up to the roof with the pack of batteries, or, you know, donuts or whatever it is, I'm ordering donuts, but those donuts going right up to the roof, <laughs> the operators will be on the roof already. And you will need to build another air traffic controller because it'll be a high enough roof and, and it, the distance will be covered in five minutes. it will just go straight up to the roof with some uh, other like robot, those right?
1: pneumatic tubes, like in the old banks and it'll just, you know, <laughs> shoot stuff like yeah. that,
0: right? It, it, there's yeah. gotta be a better efficiency here in terms Absolutely. of the roof that already exists. And these places, Well,
3: right? and, and and remember at some point you don't necessarily even have to have an operator there with a drone. So once yeah. you can fly beyond visual line of sight, we have another type of operation called telepresence operation. Mm. We actually test that today where we can fly drones from here in Virginia Beach. We can take off and mm. land and fly routes yeah. in other countries. And and wow. obviously we do it in other countries. Because it would be a violation of FAA. So we're we're in safe areas in in other countries. We take the drones off and fly them from here uh, dynamically. Uh, At some point, once we've proven the viability of these uh, platforms and we've proven that the parachutes work and that, you know, your your mean failure rate is one in 150,000 hours. But by maintenance, you mitigate. Once we demonstrate that's our responsibility as an industry is to to not just prove it to the policymakers and not just prove it to the regulators, but we've got to prove that to the general public. And the best way we can do it is with these controlled, safe operations that we're doing, like we're going to be doing for the rest of this year in communities, where they can come out and see it and see how we do business. Um, and that's not just drone up. That's I, I feel the entire industry is working together uh, to try to prove that, and and we will.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so obvious to anybody who has even moderately studied this, that drones are safer than cars driving on the road. Anybody who's watched a delivery driver under the gun getting paid per delivery is going to know that a human uh, driving a car on the roads is much more dangerous. There's pedestrians, there's other cars, uh, and other vehicles to hit. So that's obvious to everybody. And then let's face it, you know, recreational aviation. Mm, it's not the safest thing in the world. I mean, every day, uh, sadly, every couple of days, we see a Cessna or a Cirrus or a Pil- Pilatus or something goes down here in the United States they the, the FAA does incredible job breaking down the massive amount of user error that happens almost universally, you know this, because uh, you're in the field. It's an error on takeoff or landing or a maintenance issue. If, if you watch the Blanco Lirio channel on YouTube, uh, which maybe you do or don't, but if you don't, there's a really good channel called Blanco Lirio. And this commercial pilot breaks down every accident right. every day. It's unbelievable. I watch it and I gave him money on Patreon because I'm so obsessed with watching this. It's always the human, whether it's the human in maintenance or the human, you know, behind uh, the controls. And, you know, when, you, when these drones are going out with the amount of software in them. They're just going to be a thousand times safer than humans at a minimum uh, at this point in time, I think. so. And I really hey, you're appreciate right. I mean, it work. always comes time, down yeah, to decision
3: fun. chain, right? The decision chain. And somewhere along the way, mm. yes, there may have been a mechanical failure, but it's, it's it, way too often. The, it's either the response to that failure or a series of bad decisions that ultimately end up in most of those. And because autonomy... Uh, has his, has reached the point where it is in the sensors that we have and the safety thing, you know, for example, on, on, on the generation drone that's rolling out now with us, um, if it senses a drop of more than a, a certain amount in a certain amount of time or a tilt or excessive vibration, it has a ballistic, uh, parachute that shoots out. It shuts off all of the engines. It disconnects the batteries and it makes this God awful noise. But for a reason, obviously, as it's floating to the ground, is right. to try to notify anybody that, hey, because you can't hear it. It's just a, coming out of the air as a parachute. But, you know, it lands, you know, softly enough that you take the drone back, you figure out what happened. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't create the type of havoc that a, a one seventy, you know, two or yeah. 182 uh, coming down in the same condition would.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> understatement no, of the yeah, yeah century, mm-hmm. like these. The, the, we had a pilot here, you know, he's, he's not um, uh, able to uh, fly in fog or whatever. All he had to do recently just crashed into the headlands here in San Francisco tragically he was going out for a lunch ride from Sacramento to Half Moon Bay. And all he had to do was just go up. But he was afraid to call, you know, uh, call in a, um, a mayday and he didn't want to fly up apparently. And if he had just flown up, he wouldn't have hit the mountain. Instead, he just did a corkscrew until he hit something. It's just these crazy tragedies, as you're saying, humans don't follow the protocols. They have all kinds of biases, the machines follow the protocol, they almost universally make the right decision. Something's wrong, you lose a rotor, you pop the parachute, you you, you live to fight another day. Humans are embarrassed. So many pilots have died because of just the sheer embarrassment of, you know, oh, I, I need help. Uh, it, it seems like the hubris is, you know, you know, a, a significant percentage of the of the problems humans are making here just and also being human. <laughs> right. I mean, or suboptimal decision making. Um, yeah. Listen, this has been amazing. I could talk to you all day. Yeah, This is fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited that you're doing this, Tom. Uh, and we can't wait. Cities. That's what a decade yeah. away, you
1: think? I know. Where are we in the cities? Part of this. Yeah. I put in my man? address
0: already, even though
1: I knew better. <laughs> kind of yeah, in the it, verbs. it's, 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 kinda, she's it's kind the, of funny people say info. is this better in think?
3: rural is this mm-hmm. better in, in, in urban yeah. is this better you know it's, it, it's in between because if mm-hmm. you're too rural then there's not enough density around you within your delivery radius for it to make right. economic sense um, but when you're When you're in cities, then what you end up with is a lot of multi-dwelling, you know, family dwelling issues. And how do you deliver to them? We have a solution that we're going to be rolling out in Q4 this year that we're pretty excited about, which will allow drone delivery to uh, condos, hotels, uh, campuses, Mm -hmm. Um, and and so we'll be doing that. But the the issue with cities is we're not ready for that yet, and that's one of the things I think our industry also has to keep reminding ourselves is just because. We think that we know how, what we're doing and just because we, we 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 drive safety, we also have to acknowledge that things can go wrong. We were flying out in North Las Vegas at, at 150 feet um, and and a, and a police helicopter saw something on the ground that got their attention and they went into a dive and literally came down to about 100 feet over the ground to, to look at something. And this is out near the desert. And, uh, and and if it hadn't been for the the quick reaction of the pilots and the systems realizing what was going on, could have had a, a tragic end. The question is, is who is responsible for that? Well, technically, the helicopters out there have a floor; they're not supposed to go below. So, the situation generally, back mm-hmm. to your point, is is who has priority in the airspace, and mm-hmm. and how do we figure out how to mutually respect those lines that drive mm-hmm. that safety? But in the meantime, we have to be we have to do the very thing I taught my my troops in the military and that is be ready for the unexpected because like the great philosopher, Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So yeah. we, we have to be ready for that.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, Continued success. This is awesome. And, uh, we just love the fact that you're doing this and, uh, taking it so seriously. I can't think of yeah. a better person to, to do this. Uh, you're taking it with a lot of responsibility and I think that's going to pay off. It may be a little bit slower. You may get there, you know, a little more, uh, a couple of uh, quarters behind maybe somebody here in Silicon Valley who wanted to go faster and take more risk. But I think it's the right move because yeah. you're going to be judged to a much higher standard because it's a new technology and I, you're, you're well aware of that. So continued success. Thanks for coming on the pod. Tom, Tom. Walker, we appreciate the time.
3: Thank you so much.
1: All right. Take good care. Talk soon. Right. Thank sure you a good. lot. Yeah, come back anytime. Thank you a
0: lot. Thank you a lot. That,
1: that was, a was weird. great. That was a know, weird interesting. Uh, Fascinating.
0: Well, you know, uh, somebody the was like, you're not asking hard enough questions. I was like, what is the hard question we missed well, here? I mean, we talked about these things falling out of the sky. Um, it just nah, hates it. Somebody... Some
1: people hate it, right? Like some people hate it conceptually. Why? What, what's the downside? Because uh, they don't know about buildings and airplanes and all the other things that America, that humans have done to like mess up. the. I mean, listen, I understand the idea that like, if you want to look up in the sky, you oh, don't necessarily, you know, aesthetics. like buzzing drones like aesthetics and sound. I mean, I will say electric drones don't
0: have to be very loud. Um, no, they're 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 much quieter than trucks driving planes well, and planes. And planes, Think about planes. So. Like have you ever seen those videos
1: where like a plane goes over and every bird is like boom. Yeah. Like I wonder, but I will you know, say a drone flew over my house the other day and I was boom. like I will shoot that. F-. Right? Like it sort of hovered wow. in front of my window and I was like I will come for you. So the Pratt privacy is, is a real question. Yeah. But but it's also like, that's not a thing we're used to. So when a drone flies over my house now, I know it's not from Walmart. I know it's looking in my window and I'm gonna shoot it.
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's a difference between somebody going 20 stories above your one or two story house. They're 18 stories, you don't even notice them. And they're going 25 miles an hour. They're not lingering. Yeah, that's one situation. The situation I don't like, because I had this happen as well, is somebody was flying a drone, you know, around uh, our neighborhood. And it was kind of obviously looking at us in the backyard and like that to me is kind of weird and creepy like you know these things have high-res cameras on them they're obviously going around you know and it's um they're they're peeping toms you know looking at people and there is something disturbing about somebody flying something over your house to watch you that's why i think he was very uh you know uh specific i don't know if you noticed he said we don't record anything yeah. so we could yeah. record they don't even take pictures I, of the drop off like no camera yeah, at like all. I want a looped video of the drop off that should be a checkbox I get to put in. I would like to see it land in my backyard. Yeah, you wouldn't but if there was it'd ever be like cool. I mean I guess then it would cool, exist. But yeah, then it exists on a hard drive somewhere. We'll get I guess there. that's we'll not get there. Yeah. Um, you made a good dis- uh, point about uh, in our chat about the number of crashes happening with the increased with driver vehicles. Yeah. And the inc- so one of the things that's happening is as we all order more e-commerce. And we stop going to stores is the number of rides being done, amount of deliveries, the amount of delivery trucks is mm-hmm. massively increasing in the world. Yeah. Which of course means more crashes. So maybe yeah. give us a couple of these stats here, Molly.
1: I mean, and I don't think these ones even include Amazon. There have been some stories about Amazon delivery vehicles, uh, yes. specifically because they've got those huge trucks and also let people use their own cars. But so yeah. just if you're looking at UPS DHL and FedEx since 2012. UPS cars, the number of crashes has increased by 38%. Mm-hmm. DHL express vehicles, the number of crashes has increased by 100%. And the number of crashes involving FedEx vehicles has increased by 254%. That was between 2012 and 2021. And those, again, don't even include the Amazon delivery vehicle crashes, which in my quick duck duck during the show, I didn't find.
0: So, the, the, what we need to know here is the number of miles driven. So, if the number of miles driven it, you know, doubled in that time period or tripled in that time period, they might in fact be safer. I don't know, it, you know, it, so that that's the one thing I don't know is the denominator here of what's changed We're we're looking at the number of crashes in a vacuum. But anyway, net net, there's more crashes on the road. Now crashes yeah. per mile driven, who knows, but the bottom line is, I think these are going to be massively, I think like 10x 100x safer than deliveries being done other ways. It's not going to be for every delivery, it's going to be things that are, you know, 10 pounds and under now, maybe it gets to 20. Maybe there's some limit that we don't want hundreds of pounds in the air, 20 stories above us. But I, you know, I could see these things dropping off, you could have five drones dropping off your groceries, you know, 50 pounds worth of groceries, 10 pounds at a time, and they just back to back, you know, every two minutes show up at your house and you, you just have, boom, 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 boom. Can you imagine? going out like you're having a barbecue and you're like, you know, it'd be great if we had more chips and salsa. And it's like, beep, beep, boop. Chips and salsa <laughs> dropping <laughs> from the sky. I mean, dropping how many times do you like, I would like some salsa. I'd like, s- we're out of right. a And this is I'm going to be Sorry, sorry
1: like, I, these do, these are zero emissions vehicles, right? They're yeah, electric yeah. drones. They don't contribute to greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there are always going to be trade-offs. But if we live in a world where people want deliveries... Mm. if I everything is going to as somebody just said have pros and cons and I I think this has more potentially pros than cons Mm. I don't this is an interesting like as we've been saying Tom is exactly the kind of guy that you want in charge of this right like you you don't don't, want a
0: 22 year old Silicon Valley who's
1: just like farther faster bigger and then you've got him like running out of battery and falling out of the sky and you got like the fact that he they're basically trying to build in air traffic control for drones, like figure out who has priority like that's all that's what has to happen. It's got to develop in a way that allows for a healthy ecosystem as opposed to like mm. one company winning it all and killing anybody in their path
0: I'm trying to figure out this chart here. This is a chart of injury rates by injury category for Amazon delivery system, Amazon DSPs and non delivery, non Amazon delivery in 2021 uh, injuries per 100 FTEs. I don't know what FTEs are full-time in this. Impl- oh, full-time equivalence. equivalence. Okay, so 18 out of 100 folks got injured, lost time, light duty, or other. So basically, the delivery partners, I think what happens is um, what Amazon is doing, I think this has been criticized a whole bunch, is in order to have it be cheap and fast. And fast. If mm-hmm. you put a delivery partner, as opposed to one of your own employees, You then obscurify your and you create a jump in liability, both for the driver, you know, their insurance, whatever. And let's face it, somebody running these small operations will take more risk than somebody who's a manager at Amazon. So by having delivery system partners, DSPs, they're shielded a little bit uh, from their behavior. And it's just like uh, Google or facebook they use people to review content who are not employees they're contractors so that they have a little bit of a a shield it's it's a it's a little bit of a um a little bit of a management trick you know in terms of responsibility yeah Uh, and and you see it here in the numbers so you're the manager and you've got your own little mom and pop shop of you know 50 drivers in arizona you're trying to make money, you hire people for less. last you, you demand they go faster, you know, you don't pay them overtime, whatever it is, you, you skirt some rules, and you increase performance, but then also increase injuries. So
1: BuzzFeed what, and ProPublica did a big story back in 2019. Yeah. I knew that there was something about this that talked about uh, these Amazon delivery vehicles and the deaths that they were causing. And I mean, I think it was like they'd been involved in 60 accidents um, in one year, maybe 13 fatalities. I mean yeah you know it's it, it's if you pri i mean actually it gets to our exact point if you prioritize speed mm-hmm. and uh
0: cost efficiency yep. overall yeah you're gonna get people killed listen there's a safety knob there's a speed knob and there's a cost knob and if you want to play with the knobs you know like that's part of running a business we get it but when you got that safety one you're kind of obligated to maybe not turn up the speed one as much and just think it through. And, you know, we, we, Darinose is the, is the perfect example. She's trying to go faster than she should. She should have gone slow and did one test, then two tests, right? Like this guy's the anti Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. He's like, we're going to do a line of sight. Then we're going to go to five miles. I'm like, why can't we go further. Oh, how, you're on 25 miles an hour. It's my like, my we natural can. inclination would be <laughs> go, go 50.
2: And right. it's like,
0: well, why? Yeah. Yeah. Why? If, if we, if we have. What if that, you know, contributes 10% chance to our chances of getting in an accident 1% of our chances to get an accident? Why would you even do that? And so move fast and break things when you're building SaaS software is completely different than when you're flying drones over people's heads or doing blood testing, you know, or 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 doing delivery, you know, last mile delivery. So just something to keep in mind when you hear that phrase, if you're a founder, move fast and break things, totally fine in your office. (laughs) with software, you want to challenge a server to, you know, run more cron jobs faster. And, you know, that, that's, that's like one thing, you know, you want to push your iPhone to the limit with your video game, like move fast and break it. Yeah, crash the iPhone. It's not, don't crash the car or the drone. All right, we've got some other news. So uh, should we Alright, everybody, uh, hope you enjoyed this
1: discussion. Obviously, we want to hear more of your thoughts on what you think right what a what a what a do you want a drone delivery in a town near you uh but i can say that for my part at least i as we have said ad nauseum big big fan of tom walker big
0: fan yeah, like it and uh if you want to suggest any we live in the future content producers at this week and startups.com we always love when the founder i'm sorry when founders out there and and fans of the show give us ideas for things for we live in the future things that feel like science fiction but are becoming uh you know science reality more real every day yeah so so definitely put in the subject line we live in the future or w-l-t-i-f all right uh, see you tomorrow everybody like yeah all right see you tomorrow bye-bye bye-bye